They, they did. Tell them, Pocahontas. Tell them. Tell them. Oh, yeah. So, morning. How's everybody doing? A little Pocahontas. She's going to tell us now about... Uh, soon. Painting with the colors of the winds. Ah, uh, yeah. So, Pocahontas, what are, we, what are we talking about here? Well, it must be the foundation of the colonies in Chesapeake, Bay. Okay, so please uh, open up the slide presentation for the settlement of the Chesapeake. Okay, and we're going to uh, to look at at some of this some of the uh, the, the stuff here. Um, I'm gonna go over it uh, and explain you know your assignment a little bit. Pretty easy one. It's just out of the five steps to a five book. So uh, even with these notes, you know it helps you for sure. But this is going to be of greater help to you next week. Uh, when we do a DBQ, that's right, uh, understanding documents. DBQ is the basically one of the most important things to be able to do well in AP U.S. history. So I'm really hoping <laughs> that even for those of you who are not in class, we're going to be able to figure out a way to, for me to be able to explain to you what is expected. But this is going to be the information that you're going to take. Okay, so let's get into it. The settlement of the Chesapeake. <laughs> We're going to start with Virginia. So English colonization, charter of the Virginia Company. Okay, first off, a charter. What is it? It's basically the king giving people the right to go and take some land and make money off of it. Okay, usually it would be about a 50-50 split. Half the money would go directly to the king, the mother country, and half the money would stay with the people. Okay, that is kind of how a charter works. Uh, the colonists who come here, they were given what's called extraterritoriality. Extraterritoriality means basically that you are going to have the right to still be English citizens, even though you're somewhere else. So they were here setting up colonies and they're going to be still English citizens and following English law. Okay, this is mercantilism. That's what it is, right? The establishment of a colony is basically to... to uh, Provide money for the mother country, okay? All right, so Jamestown, what do we have happen? Let's go back to a little Pocahontas here. Let's see. Uh, and I, it, An engine, or maybe two or three, the Virginia Company. That's right. So <laughs> what is happening? Virginia Company sends out three ships, okay? They land in Chesapeake. They get attacked by some natives who were there. They move on. 1607, uh, in May, they land in the James River, Jamestown, okay? It's easily defended because it is a peninsula, a small peninsula. However, it's swarming with mosquitoes, something that they did not have in England. So they didn't have the antibodies to disease such as malaria. Oh, no. Uh, then these next couple of slides here, these are just some pictures. If you were to go down to Jamestown today, you could actually see this. They do let you go on the boats. Very, very exciting stuff. I know you can't wait to get there. Uh, here is just a map of the Virginia area with the Chesapeake Bay, okay, and a computer-generated, that's right, uh, showing of the fortress that they built and how they were trying to defend themselves and protect themselves. The houses that they made, okay, how they were basically setting up common areas for eating and things like that. And, of course, of course, 
being as these were very religious people, you know, back then, um, you have to understand, right? They, you know, right now we have a hurricane that is hitting down south. Um, we know that it's coming. We can see this. We can see it. It forms off the coast of Africa, goes across the Atlantic Ocean into the Caribbean oftentimes, and then makes landfall somewhere. We know it's coming. Back then, they did not know these things. So a lot of it came to religion. Uh, if things like that were to happen, if a hurricane hit, they'd be like, oh, no, you know, this must be the hand of God. We have done something wrong. Okay. The Jamestown nightmare, 1606 to 1607, 40 people died just on their way here. Okay, another ship comes, it gets lost in Bermuda, more people come, but the problem is that they're all men, okay? Why is that an issue? Because they come here for one thing and one thing only. Okay, as it says on the bottom of this Jamestown nightmare, settlers wasted time looking for gold. That's all. It was gold, gold, gold. They figured down south, the Spanish had been able to extract tremendous amounts of gold and silver from Central America. So they just assumed, well, if there's gold there, there must be gold here. And they were wrong. Uh, so they spent all this time during the day looking for gold that didn't exist. Then at night, they would go and drink a lot of alcohol, never stopping to go fishing, never going out hunting. Uh, and it just really created a problem where they didn't set up a community. Instead, it was uh, pretty much a bunch of people who were off trying to get rich on their own, and they were not getting each other's back. So for that, what's going to happen? A lot of them are going to die. Okay, there is a story, of course, that Pocahontas saves Captain John Smith. Whether that is true or not, we do not know. We do know that she will eventually marry a man named John Rolfe, but we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. English migration from 1610 to 1660. So, as you can see, in this 50-year period, about 190,000 people come from England, okay? Most of them are still going to the West Indies. Why, Mr. Brown? Why are they going to the West Indies? Great question. The reason is, the West Indies, they had already developed sugar plantation. Sugar was looked at as the original white gold. This is a way to make lots and lots and lots of money. Don't ever forget Columbus' reason for heading out in his... Uh, exploratory sailings was to develop trade routes with the uh with the indies okay he wanted to be able to bring spices back he figured if he set the trade route he'd make a lot of money well sugar was one of the spices that they were able to extract from the new world so a lot of people were heading down there Fifty thousand, or basically a quarter of the people who come from england during this time are going to come to chesapeake why all right because they wanted money Right? That's really what it all comes down to. These people were coming here not really for religious reasons. They were coming here to get rich. When they do, they, they have a river settlement pattern. They're going to set up large plantations, mostly over 100 acres, very large. They're going to be widespread, okay? So not a lot of contact uh, between the plantations. What kind of problems is this going to create? Well, they're not going to be easily defensible. Also, uh, they're not going to have a lot in common with each other. They're going to kind of set up their own little places. You can see the pattern, okay, of how they set up along the James River. It was kind of like, all right, we're going to take the next one, and then we're going to take the next one. So what happens to these people? Well, we have a high mortality rate, something referred to as the starving time. 
1607, you had 104 colonists. By 1608, 38. Not good numbers, not good odds. Uh, 1609, 300 more come. By the spring, 60 are left. Worse odds. Uh, from the period of 1610 to 1624, you have 10,000 people who come to the New Worlds and settle in and around Jamestown. And of those 10,000, 1,200 survive. That is very, very, very bad, right? We're talking about 85% of the people who go there end up dead. Not good. They were living to be about 40 years, okay? They also were trying to, uh, you know, when they would have kids, the kids would be dead before the age of five, four out of five times. Not good at all. All right. We end up having a widowocracy, uh, widowarchy, sorry. Widowarchy. What does that mean? So many men were dying that women were left. And this is kind of, you know, like one of the original steps forward. In England, women were not allowed to own land. But here, because of the high mortality rate of men, many women were owning the land left behind by their husbands. So what do we know about the natives who were here? Well, they're called the Powhatan Confederacy or Powhatans, okay? We don't really even know what their name was. We just know that that's what they were named by the people who were here. Why did they call them that? Because it was a word that they tended to use a lot. So they said, all right, we hear them saying potent, potent, potent. That's what we're going to call them, okay? That's what they called everybody who was native to, in this area. Uh, so the best that we know is that this was the Powhatan or Powhatan Confederacy. Uh, but we don't know much more about that because guess what? A lot of them are going to die. Uh, if you look at this map here of the Confederacy, unbeknownst or not caring from the uh, original people who settled this area, they settle, right? Where You see where it says Jamestown? Right in the middle of, of this Confederacy. Somewhere around 20,000 Native people are in this area compared to the 1,200 men who are able to survive those first couple of years. Not good. Not at all good odds for the uh, people who are trying to settle here. Just some pictures of what they tried to make the uh, poet and village look like and the food that they had. So culture clash. It's very simple. When you have two groups of people that look different, act different, speak different, there's going to be a lot of distrust. So the relationship between the, uh, the settlers and, and the, the Indians, it gets worse and worse and worse. And there's going to be a lot of general mistrust. So what are we going to have? We're going to have war, okay? And 1610 to 1614, we have our first anglo poetan war. A man by the name of De La War is brought in in order to take out the native people who are here, Okay. What's named after De La War? Not war. War had been happening way before he was around. But Delaware. How about that? Uh, he's going to be all about total war, raiding their villages, burning down their houses, burning their cornfields, right? Basically taking the ability for them to thrive and survive away from them. Okay, moving on. Culture clash continuing. 1614 to 1622. We have a little bit of peace. And the reason why we have this peace is because, as I mentioned before, we're going to have a marriage. The marriage is between Pocahontas and John Rolfe. Not John Smith, John Rolfe. Okay? Uh, John Rolfe is the guy who is credited with basically saving Jamestown. All right? This uh, marriage between he and uh, Pocahontas, who in all accounts was the daughter of a leading chief among the poetans, is going to cause, you know, a little bit of peace. 
But it, eventually the Virginians are going to want the land, they're going to want the resources, so therefore they're going to want war. War is what they're going to get. You look at this picture here of the potent uprising 1622. Okay, it's important to kind of take a look at it and say, whose vantage point is this from? Who made this picture? The native people, the potents, or the settlers? So take a look, look at it. Take a second. Okay, think about it. Think about why. So the answer would be the potents. And the reason being, here you see in the bottom right-hand corner, a guy being stabbed in the back. On the bottom, another guy about to be brutally killed with a knife. Bullet, you know, and then next to him, the same thing. Looks like the guy was just sitting down trying to have himself some lunch. And here comes uh, one of the natives, and he's like, yeah, well, guess what? Your days are done. Uh, so they're trying to make them look like savages, okay? Another guy in the middle uh, looks like he's about to hit, hit a woman begging for her child's life with a club of some sort, Okay. So one of the things for AP U.S. history is being able to understand how to look at pictures like this and know exactly what they are. All right. So we have that right there. Okay. Culture clash in the Chesapeake. We are going to have the second Anglo-Potent War. This is the last effort of the natives to defeat and remove the settlers. They lose. Instead, now, the peace treaty is signed in 1646, and the potents are removed from their lands. And this is going to separate Indian and English settlement forever. Here's John Rolfe, okay? He's going to be the guy, as I said, credited with finally making the uh, colony successful. How is it that he gets the credit for doing that? How does he make them prosperous? Tobacco. So while he is en route to the New World's, a hurricane happens, takes place in the Atlantic Ocean, and he is diverted. He ends up in Bermuda. While in Bermuda, he comes across tobacco, and he says, hey, what's that? Tobacco. Okay. What do you do? You smoke it. Okay. Great. Fantastic. It is addictive. It is going to be their cash crop, and it grows very well in the soil of Virginia. So there we go that he says that that is going to be Virginia's gold and its silver. What happens? What happens in the years 1618 to 1629? Look at the production of tobacco from 20,000 pounds a year to over a million and a half pounds, okay? So they are going to flood Europe with tobacco products. What happens to the prices of tobacco? The price of tobacco drops precipitously or a lot. What does that mean? That they're not making money? Oh, no. They're making their money. It's just that there's so much of it that people are able to afford it. And when more people can afford something, it means that more people are going to buy that thing. And eventually, most people will be smoking tobacco. So, who's growing the tobacco? Well, now here's where we have issues. This is going to be indentured servants who are going to be doing that. Okay, there's something called the headright system. Okay, what is the headright system? What it basically, in essence, means is that every Virginian who is able to bring somebody over to work for them is going to get 50 acres for each person. So you have to pay the ship to bring them here. Once they're here, they have to work on their indentured contract. So you, the person comes here for free. What they, how The way that they pay it is that they have to work off the money. So eventually they'd be able to get their freedom, but first they'd have to work five to seven years. They'd be forbidden to marry, 
and only one in 10 of them are going to outlive their indentured contracts, okay? So it's, it's really something that's not going to work out all that well. Uh, and a lot of the people who were surviving, they're going to run away. So as this is happening, okay, they're going to start to see problems that are taking effect, right? Tobacco is going to be their one staple crop, the only crop they're going to grow, and it is going to require a lot of labor. And immediately, the indentured servant, the headright system, system, <laughs> the headright system, it, it has its issues, okay? Then we have the year 1619. And 1619 is such a pivotal year, such a pivotal, pivotal year. Why? Number one, we have the Virginia House of Burgess that comes along, okay? Hopefully, you're on slide 37, following along, uh, which is the Virginia House of Burgess. There you are. So they build this building. What is it? This is the first colonial system of representative government. Okay. Now, again, a colony. Colony is supposed to have no self-governance at all. The colony is supposed to be at the administration of the king. There could be a governor there, as there was, but the governor can only do whatever the king says. King says this, you have to do this. King says that, you must do that. But the Virginia House of Burgess, they start doing their own legislation, making up their own laws, doing what they want to do. So how do you think the king is going to feel about it? Well, James I, he's going to grow very angry about this. He doesn't like tobacco in the first place. He thinks that tobacco is a drug. He doesn't like the idea that, you know, he's making money off of basically drug dealing. And he also hates the House of Burgess. He calls it a seminary of sedition. Seminary of Sedition. Sedition is uh, basically when you're speaking against the government, as many of them were. And so a seminary is a house. He says this whole thing is blowing up. These people are doing things on their own. They're not doing what I'm telling them. And he hated it. Absolutely hated it. So he revokes the charter, tells them he's not going to give them any more funding. And Virginia... Uh, became a royal colony under the king's direct control. So he said, you now have no more control. I'm going to run everything. There's no more governorship or anything at all like that. 1624. Also in 1619, something major happens, right? What happens? Well, we have a slave ship that arrives by accident, really. Uh, they were supposed to be going down to the Caribbean. They get diverted and they end up up here. So it kind of becomes like, all right, while well, we're here, let's see if we can sell some slaves. So they try and sell some slaves. In Jamestown, they had no idea what to do with slaves. Uh, in England, slavery was not really a thing. So these people were English. They were religious. And they didn't really know how this was going to work. Would slaves kind of work like indentured servants? Could they work off their sl you know, being enslaved over a certain amount of time? And then if you get to, right, we see the population in, uh, in the Chesapeake 17th century, right? You know, 1607, basically nothing. 1630, basically nothing. 1650, it, a little bit, right, starts to go up. And then by 1690, whoa, we have a good amount of an increase in this population. Why? Why is this happening? Well, because the slave trade gets underway. So a really, really, really brief history of slavery. What, how does it happen? How does it get here? Okay, very, very simple. If you look at this picture, the Atlantic slave trade, it, it works something like this. From Portugal, right, the Portuguese would go down to West Africa. And the Portuguese would go and trade rum and guns 
two different uh, tribes in order, and, and then in turn, they would want slaves. So they're trading rum and guns, and in turn, they want slaves given back to them. Okay. In West Africa, you had different tribes who were fighting for control of the area. If one tribe, right, let's say if tribe A, tribe B, if tribe A can make this deal with the Portuguese and all of a sudden they have guns and tribe B, they just have, you know, spears and javelins and things of that sort, who's going to be winning in these wars? Well, obviously it's going to be tribe A. And what did the Portuguese want in return? They wanted slaves. They wanted people. So tribe A would go and they would basically go on body snatching missions during the night, stealing people, stealing people and then trading them for those guns and that rum. Those slaves were then brought into, as you can see, right? Look at the numbers. 38% end up in Brazil, 42% in the Caribbean islands in the West Indies, and only 4% in North America. So, and again, the British were not really into slavery taking place until something happens, Okay. And that thing that's going to happen is uh, a bit of a rebellion, but we'll get there in a second. As they start to realize what to do with slaves, they realize something. They say, as more slaves are coming here, there can be more of them than there are of the people who are of, of the English, of the, of the settlers. So they start to put down what they perceive to be a threat. And so they come up with slave codes, okay? So again, on page or slide 45, you've got your colonial slavery. And in 1662, we have the first institution of slave codes. And what they make is something that is called chattel slavery. Or in other words, a slave is a slave for life. That's it. Once you're a slave, you're always going to be a slave. Chattel slavery just mean the worst of the worst. What they would do is basically breed slaves. So once they had, you know, a man and a woman, they would have kids. Those kids from the moment that they were born would then also be slaves. Awful, awful. Um, this is what was, was going on. In some colonies, it was a crime to teach a slave to read or to write, okay? And, you know, conversion to Christianity did not qualify the slave for freedom, which is just absolute craziness when you think about it. Uh, if they were trying to follow the code in the in, in the their holy book, uh, slavery was always something in the Bible that was looked down upon. Okay, frustrated freemen, the 1600, large numbers of young, discontent men in the Chesapeake area, uh, and what do they do? They are they're gonna they're gonna leave, right? They're gonna go elsewhere. They're looking for basically to start families. Okay, then we have something take place called Nathaniel Bacon's Rebellion. Nathaniel Bacon's Rebellion is really, really, really interesting. You have a couple of principal characters here, okay? This is in 1676, an easy year to remember, I think, 100 years before the uh, Declaration of Independence, 1776. So 100 years before that, okay, you have Nathaniel Bacon, and Nathaniel Bacon basically, uh, he comes on over to the new colony. The governor of the colony, his name is William Berkeley, okay? So you have Governor Berkeley who is the uncle to Nathaniel Bacon. When Nathaniel Bacon gets here, as you can see from it's a, a, you know, what's noted on the slides, there were some issues with Native Americans. Uh, the Native Americans were attacking uh, their settlements. They were killing their cows, stealing their horses. The people went to the governor, asked him for help, said, hey, let's, let's do something about this. Let's fight back. Governor Berkeley was not really trying to fight them. He says, ah, no, 
I don't think I'm going to be doing that. Okay? Because he did not want to be perceived by the king as having lost any kind of control. Nathaniel Bacon then, long story short, he goes and he decides that him and some people are going to go out into the woods and they're going to fight against the Native Americans, okay, on their own. The governor finds out about this. He's really upset. You know, they went over his head. They did something that he told them not to do. And so he goes to attack his own nephew and those people. Nathaniel Bacon then leads a rebellion against his uncle, the governor of Virginia. And when he does go and do this, he fights, comes back into Virginia, burns it down, okay, drives the governor away, all right? They went on an absolute rampage. This just creates total chaos, and the government collapses. Now, Nathaniel Bacon, he's eventually uh, going to be, he's going to die. He most likely gets malaria from a mosquito, um, but the, when the rebellion is put down, they decide, hey, you know what? Indentured servitude will not work anymore. And the most important thing about this, okay, at the bottom of slide 51, the upper class planters are now going to search for laborers less likely to rebel, and that is going to be slaves. They're then going to want to bring in more and more and more slaves. And so we are going to see the number of slaves in Virginia higher than at any other time before. Okay. You've got some slides left on here, okay? I just want to tell you, Maryland, I don't want to overwhelm you with all this. Maryland becomes known as a haven for Catholics. Most of the people coming here are what we call WASP, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. There were still some Catholics, okay? And the Catholics and the Protestants do not get along at all. So Maryland is kind of like an area that is set aside as just a safe haven for those Catholics, okay? That is really honestly all you need to know about Maryland. I mean, we can go on a long history of it, but it won't really help out too much. So that is it as far as our uh, as far as this podcast goes for the settlement of Chesapeake. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you all are having a good day. Mr. Braun, out.